not have any kind of commentary on art. That's fine. this podcast it's called i don't need this i don't need this the next podcast hi welcome to i don't hate this that's our new dog correspondent it's a cartoon dog our our erotic asdf dog asdf you know that like a sexy ASMR. Sexy tic tacs tinkling in, in your pocket. It's ASMR. I'm a dog. <laughs> I'm gonna sniff in your ear. What have you been eating? Do you have any treats for me? <laughs> ha ha. I don't want to be the one to start something real. I'm just waiting. Uh, I don't really know what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> we have a special in-guest audience who won the contest, uh, <laughs> accidentally hanging out with us all day. It's been fun, guys. <laughs> Peace out. Bye. Thanks. <laughs> uh, this is my friend Emily. Um, <sighs> stop it. I'm trying. You're so into ASFDM, KMFDM, <laughs> R. Eric, is this is this one a uh, Ulrika Muller? I believe it is, right? I believe so. It's a cat tap tapestry that I saw, and this as well. I just wanted I don't to know. Give, look I, it wait. up online. Google cat tapestry Whitney Biennial. I just wanted to introduce Emily and but not give her the pressure to have to say anything because okay. she is here, but she could just be a human laugh track if she wants to be. That's my role. Is that all she is to you as a human laugh track? No, I just want to be full disclosure because what if people are listening to this and then they're like, what's happening? Yes, Ulrika Moore. I think it would be weird, so I'm just going to go up with that right now. Well, if I don't end up saying anything, you can just edit me out in your introduction of me out later. No, we do sometimes, but... Or do we? Audience, you'll never know. The things we edit out are our secrets to keep. Yeah, and the things we edit in are also unheard. <laughs> <laughs> so, did you record anything while you were away, Andre? I uh, I took the audio recorder with me, and then you I dropped it in a toilet when it was in my back pocket. No, I had it. I I would wager he just sat at a desk in silence staring at it, unable to press the on button. I just, I thought that it would be better to have you guys around. I just thought it would be better for the show. Mm. Sounds good. Okay, great. So do something, Andre. <laughs> I'm it's happy true. to talk Let if me. you want. Alright, Andre, fine, I'll give called... you an intro. No, no, no. You called us here. <laughs> I said, uh, I don't hate this assemble, and then they arrive, ready to record a podcast. Yeah, he said, I don't hate this three times into a mirror in the dark. In his so, bathroom. In his bathroom, yes, mm-hmm. good point. Oh, 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 oh. 
So Andre so bit shove us. Shove that in your come. ASDF ears and go to sleep. Andre ASMR. bit us come here and he bit us <laughs> and talk on the podcast because he escaped to the Whitney Biennial and the thing is that Andre if he didn't hate the Biennial he would have had a really terrible time he went out of his way to go even like in order <laughs> to hate it so I kind of hope he loved it out of spite there was one piece in particular that I thought was extraordinary but uh, for the most part I thought that uh, it was probably the weakest biennial I've ever been to and I've been to every biennial since 2006 but I I just want to begin our line of questioning there Um, why do you hate yourself so much why do you want to indulge yourself in a painful before we begin this hearing If he's already uh, here, he may appear. He's here already, uh, then Mr. Put him on the, then put him on the witness stand. He's already on the witness stand, so uh, please, Mr. Uh, Sir President. So I would like to call to order the Senate Subcommittee on the Degenerate Funding of the American Arts. Look, <laughs> the Senate Subcommittee on You've Funding for the Degenerate Arts. You've asked me if I recorded any tapes of of my feelings about the biennial when Lordy, I was Lordy, I hope there's tapes. I hope there's <laughs> tapes. If there are tapes, I will make sure that you have access to these tapes. I want you to, to hear what I have to say about this biennial. There are curators. They're in America. They attacked us before. They're going to attack us again with art. And I don't care what side you're on. So what happened? We is- should be stopping curators from organizing exhibitions. <laughs> so Dana what? Schutz called me on Valentine's Day and asked me if I had any plans, and I said no. And of course, I had plans to have dinner with my wife Eleanor Russell, <laughs> and I had to call her and say I can't have dinner with you tonight on Valentine's Day. I have to go have uh, I have to go visit the Whitney Biennial with Dana Schutz. And it turns out that she's been dating both of them. Yeah, yeah. Dana Schutz has to keep running between us, and we're both at different tables at the same Whitney Biennial. Today, today, uh, Andre Kello has taken the unusual step of asking to come to speak before us about his uh, experiences at the Whitney Biennial, which is closing today, but that may well be many years in the past. By the time we put this out. By the time my voice reaches your ears. um, These these recordings may not be declassified for generations. Yes. Um, So my understanding, Mr. Callow, is that uh, we had sent you to New York. You sent yourself, you defenestrated yourself from Chicago with the intent of going to New York. Yeah, we don't have like the budget so many Anna Mendietas thrown out of so yeah. many windows by oh, Carl Zandre. Zandre. Which is kind of like Carl's Jr., but, <laughs> but flatter. Imagine if the hamburgers were made of solid steel. But like Wendy's, the patties would be square. <laughs> So now I understand, Mr. Callow, that you were uh, went to New York with the intention of recording your thoughts on 
the B and all by and, and you did not do so. You did not. Instead, you wrote a detailed memo outlining your thoughts about your experience, which you are now here to speak to us about. Is that correct? Uh, yes, yes, that is correct, sir. And what is the nature of these memos? How exactly were they written? By phone? By paper? I used the uh, Keep app on my Android phone to uh, take notes while I was in. Uh, they were contemporaneous notes uh, written down in the space of the, uh, the new building of the Whitney on the, the cold, rainy day, a Thursday uh, at the end of May when I visited the biennial. Now this, this, uh, this uh, I believe you called it Keep app, this Keep app, is this a proprietary piece of software or is it open source? I believe uh, the Keep app is a, a proprietary software owned and operated and distributed by the Google Corporation. Google and now. Uh, while you were using said app in the gallery spaces, was it clear to you that all other artists, tourists, security officers, curators who may have been present thought that you cared more about texting than observing the work. Now, what I say, what would a curator be doing wandering around inside of a biennial? Biennale. Well, obviously, they'd be hobnobbing. Uh, Just during the day at 2 or 4 p.m.? It was, a, it was a, as I said before, uh, uh, Mr. Wenzel, uh, Ms. Lidoff, I, I, I visited the biennial on a, a cold and uh, rainy Thursday afternoon at about uh, 1 o'clock, and... Uh, Despite this is Eastern time, is this correct? This is Eastern time in New York City. And by cold, would you mean 40 degrees or... Is that in Fahrenheit, sir, it, or Celsius? Uh, it was uh, in the, uh, the low 50s uh, in Fahrenheit, and uh, I was wearing it's a, bit chilly. a, a, uh, a green uh, marine issue uh, raincoat. Now, now, are you now, trying to claim that you were in the Marines, was, or is this uh, false valor? It was supposed valor? to be in Memorial Day weekend. How was it so cold? Can you can you elaborate on how that came to be? This is climate change. So sometimes climate well, changes for the better. That. Is this what you're saying, that it was chilly and should be hot, and so this in this case the climate changed for the better? I'm sorry, sir. What is the question? Is it possible that all this climate change mumbo-jumbo is actually the climate fixing itself? I do not feel particularly qualified to judge whether or not the climate has fixed itself, sir. Okay. So now back to this Google thingamabobber you're using. Do you feel that that is in the best interests of your security, seeing that uh, Google does willingly transfer its private user information to <laughs> Senate committee panels when they ask for it? I do not believe that privacy uh, exists in the 21st century. And, and if you were indeed more interested in texting than looking at the art, why did you not uh, say so loudly to all passers-by? I don't like speaking to people, especially in museums, especially in New York, where I'm likely to encounter New Yorkers who are terrible. Now, my question is for Senator Lithoff, Republican of Delaware. <laughs> are you proposing that he would be texting and then saying attention all i am texting is this is this the uh, solution you were i just find it to be a reasonable position that one who hates art as much as andre does 
would take any opportunity to uh, make aware of the people around him how useless the particular art he was looking at was. I, I, pro- now, I it- protest this characterization. Yes, I, I, I do want to hold that thought, but I, I have a line of questioning for the senator from Oklahoma. Um, is this is this your way of trying to normalize the fact that you go around the grocery store naming products you don't like? Pointing at various mustards that are not your favorite mustard. I would like to recuse myself from this line of inquiry. Okay, so we're going to move on, and then in a few days you're going to take control of it again and say, I never recused myself. <laughs> so now, Mr. Callow, you have been flatly, baldly... And maybe boldly. And boldly. Erotically charged with <laughs> the crime of hating art. Do you think this is a fair characterization of your feelings? I think that considering that I've spent a, uh, a majority of my life in the, the study and appreciation and, and generation. Also the majority of your money. My life, my resources, my emotional and psychological energy has uh, largely been in my adult life uh, oriented toward uh, the uh, production and appreciation and uh, criticism of art. So is that a yes or no? I do not feel I am qualified to answer that question in open hearing. But why then? Why this is this is the point that I find to be particularly. Is storm brewing? That's fucking ominous. I'm not sure what that is. seems to have passed. Let the record show that a mysterious <laughs> event uh, <laughs> if it appears an event has occurred. <laughs> um, but sir, to my point, if, so you you will claim, de- if you claim so boldly that you love art and have spent your whole life indulging in its appreciation, why would you voluntarily subject yourself to art that you wanted to be terrible? I would disagree with uh, with Miss Lidoff's uh, uh, description of my uh, intentions here. I, I wish very dearly for the Whitney Biennial to be extraordinary, to be uh, uh, full uh, of America's best art, as is its charge. Uh, and each time I have attended the Biennial since. 2006, and, and I have not missed one. I've been uh, surprised and disappointed to discover that once again, the Whitney has uh, instead created a uh, shopping mall of banal spectacle. And who particularly do you blame for this oversight? Uh, for uh, for the banality, yes, of the Whitney Biennial. Do you blame the artists, the curators, the institution as a whole, the organizers? Or, or viewers that are simply incapable of recognizing the brilliance of what's been placed before them. <laughs> I, if I had to guess, I would say that uh, the Whitney Biennial is uh, sufficiently uh, well-marketed that it would be packed on a Thursday afternoon in the... Uh, on a cold 
rainy May day, uh, regardless of the quality of the work, and therefore the uh, the quality was never uh, a motivating curatorial force. So are you saying, so, sir, you have not yet named the person for whom you blame all this mediocrity. Is it is it fair to say that there is plenty of blame to pass around? I blame the artists for participating in the show. I blame the curators for bowing to uh, market and social and political pressures. I blame the museum for uh, failing to enact a, an effective program of uh, serving the mission of the biennial as stated. Now, uh, well, this sir, even I, failed. I, Wait, I, hold on a second. No, no, I need to... Can you honestly tell me that were you given the chance to show your work in the Whitney Biennial, you would refuse on grounds that it would be, it it would be, would be like a crappy like thing lame. to do because it sucks so much? I blame artists for showing bad work in the Biennial. But don't you think they don't think it's bad? Yeah, but they're dumb dumbs. Has what anybody if, else been to this? Not this particular one. But in years past. Yeah. Because you said you've been going since '06, so I is it always this terrible? It has a reputation for being terrible. Last year's got a lot of flack for it being terrible. Didn't, it didn't because it was three years ago, which is the thing I would also point out that I would also hold. The Whitney biennial guilty of is for also not it's even occurring every three, two years. Taking three years to produce a biennial. <laughs> yes. That's fair. Thank you. It's a, it was at the old space. It was the last uh, one at the old space. Yes. Correct? Okay. Correct. Uh, and why do you ask? Oh, just because I've never been to it. So I just wanted to know if everyone thought it was terrible or it's if like only a, you thought it was terrible. No, it's like... Um, well, first of all, it is weird for us to call Andre. Well, he called himself to the stand. Um, I volunteered to testify. Volunteered. I, I'm not here under subpoena. I am voluntarily offering my testimony today. But it seems more like less of a testimony and more like you need everyone to know how terrible it is. Hmm. I believe that is why people testify. <laughs> Now, I wouldn't say uh, Andre's position is what... Uh, what is referred to as a hot take. I do not believe it is one of those. It's like something you love to hate, like Sex in the City too. <laughs> sex in the city or Everybody hates the Whitney Biennial, and it's still by far the biggest art event of in America every time it happens. And so I think about 1% of the populace is aware. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've never been to it, but I know I'm supposed to hate it to be cool. You're all, yeah, you're supposed to go <laughs> oh, to so, dislike it. So you guys love to hate it. It's not like we're not here to discuss how to fix it or like... Well, if you have ideas after listening to us, I would really like to hear them. <laughs> Once again, the senator from Idaho with the, the real getting to the meat of the bone, the marrow of the morrow. <laughs> I just wanted to 
No, no these are, we're saying these are excellent questions. Yeah, it's like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, how would you fix it? I would fix the Whitney Biennial. Uh, I, I, I do actually have several uh, proposals. Proposals beyond, like, make this bad art. Okay, so, the, well, the other question would be, do you want to go over your notes about this particular biennial, or do you think it's... I can, prescient to jump to the solution conclusion. Go from macro to micro or well, vice versa. There's been a lot of uh, writing and talking about this particular biennial uh, because of the controversy around uh, the Dana Schutz uh, painting. And uh, I believe that uh, people are familiar with the uh, particularly significant works that are in the show, like the William Pope L installation and uh, that's a bunch of baloney. Wait, what does it look like? Which one is it? It is a um, a rectangular space uh, with a door on either side uh, of uh, the interior space. Uh, the walls are covered with um, slices of baloney, and uh, oh, <laughs> so that was a joke. And there is I can neither confirm nor deny that explanatory assessment. text indicating that the baloney in its quantity and arrangement is in some way reflective of uh, the demographics of a uh, Jewish community that uh, has lived in New York City for uh, quite a while, for more than 100 years. statements Whoa. are uh, um, are to be read into the record yeah I was thinking I'm like could read this some excerpts but this is what he said he said for us it was so much more Who's he? are we rolling Mr. Lou the um, are we rolling well no I don't want it. I don't you were still in the middle of something what were we in the middle of um, I was asked a question uh, what would I do to fix the Whitney biennial well, no, you were describing the baloney. Ah, yes, that's right. Uh, the uh, the William Popel piece is a... Let the record show it should be Popel, a.k.a. William Popel. A piece, uh, a room, uh, where the walls of the room, which uh, the room exists as a freestanding structure inside of a larger space with... Uh, Doors on uh, a room inside a room. Yes, and doors, uh, not doors, but uh, openings. Portals. Entrances. Right. Entrances and or uh, egresses. Uh, Which way to the egress? Uh, it, the, the piece is uh, right in front of the elevators where you uh, first enter the biennial upon uh, uh, getting out of the elevators. And um, the baloney is uh, supposed to represent the uh, the Jewish community in New York City. The what? the piece was uh, uh, originally presented in 
Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, where it was also uh, intended to represent the Jewish community there. What does baloney have to do with Jews? I don't know. Aren't you Jewish? Yeah, and I don't know. So he's not representing me. I also do not believe the artist in question is Jewish. The uh, William Popel, I, I do not believe is Jewish. And uh, Can you smell the baloney? I did not smell the baloney. Pers- you were... I, you, I was led to have, believe I that baloney would, would be have, quite odiferous. Yeah, that you wouldn't have a choice but to smell the baloney. I, I did not have the experience of smelling the baloney when I was in the space, and I spent uh, about three hours in the space. Uh, in, At any point... In the room, you spent three hours in the baloney room? <laughs> no, I, um, I'm i sorry. I, I didn't intend to give that impression. I spent three hours in the biennial. At any point, were you forcibly held or armbarred by a security guard and uh, placed with your face as close as possible to the baloney without touching it and instructed, smell the baloney? I, I can't say that the person who did that to me was a security guard. It's possible that this person was simply an enthusiastic art patron. Or enthusiastic butcher or... Delhi counter or perhaps a member of the Jewish community of New York City (laughs) (laughs) the piece uh, uh, appeared to me uh, after having seen it in both iterations as being sort of obscurely and uh, lazily anti-semitic but in such an oblique way as to be uh, beyond criticism what about it do you find I mean I don't even understand that I, I mean I feel like if I saw a room full of baloney I don't necessarily think that's a bad work I mean I'd have to see what it looks like but I, I think it would be like the Kartoffel house it would be like um, a commentary about how Amer- you know some sort of like post-war American 1950s fake Andy Warhol soup cans Baloney, America's baloney. I am, uh, in general, uh, a little bit more immediately critical of any work that attempts to uh, uh, measure the population of a Jewish community for no reason other than to present that information. But the choice of baloney is weird because isn't the ingredients inside it something that Jewish people could never even eat anyway? I don't know. I don't know what bologna is made of. Does it have pork in it? It's made of like disgusting random stuff, I'm pretty sure. It's like worse than hot dogs. Huh. It is a prepared uh, meat product. Is it kosher? It is not. Well, then what? Then what does that mean? It doesn't seem to mean anything. (laughs) It... The piece appears to be conspicuously meaningless while also having an odd scent of anti-Semitism that uh, lingers around the work uh, in a difficult-to-describe cloud. No, but it's like I don't even know enough to be offended. But I I wasn't... Wait, was there like one piece of bologna for every Jewish person that lived in New York? No, each piece of bologna represented a certain number of Jews. Like to be slaughtered and then turned into bologna? 
That part is unclear. I don't understand. But I also am hesitant well, to, to believe you guys because I... And it is significant that this work... It and, sounds like you're making all and, of it up, to be honest. And William Popel's contribution to the Whitney was uh, considered so significant by the Whitney itself that he was given uh, a prize for his contribution. The $100,000 Buxbaum Best in Show Award. Why? Because it's the best. Haven't you been hearing him describe this piece? <laughs> um, there's some more details to it. So each... And I could show you some images I've been Did pulling Did you just up. Google like a random art award? No, this is like totally like legit. <laughs> You're um, I'm like skeptical now. It's a, grid, it's a grid of pieces of bologna that have been meticulously prepared. Each one has a face on it that's been from a photograph of a crowd that's been blown up to a certain size. And then each face is like torn out, but it's just random passersby on the street. And it's been attached to the bologna with a dollop of acrylic paint and then pinned with a push pin. And then inside um, is... Look at my face right now. <laughs> yeah, is a small piece of text that's framed and next to it is a bottle of wild turkey. And I don't know if I can get the text for this. It was This was presented singularly as a wall in... In Philadelphia. Philadelphia. The title of the piece is Claim. So this is Claim Whitney version. Many, many of the individual uh, aesthetic pieces that, can, that constitute the work uh, seem to be chosen for their, um, their charged relationship with uh, questions uh, related to Jewish uh, identity and culture and history. Uh, is this about how Israel is the largest consumer of Turkey per capita in the world? Is that what the wild turkey signifies? No, that's like a stereotypical drink sort of associated with like black people in the ghetto. Wild turkey? I believe so. Yes, this is like, it's like a fruit flavored one. So it's like... Compounding the two. How? It's wild turkey. I thought wild turkey was MD like a high end... Am I wrong? Oh, that's no. not wild turkey. I do not know anything about uh, liquors. They sold that at the quickie. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's a cheap liquor that's fruit flavored, that's like associated. What is the brand? MD twenty twenty is that Firebird? Habanero lime Marita. They also have like fruit punch and like Thunderbird. It is Thunderbird. Oh, that's oh, I totally. Said wild wild, wild turkey is like a high-end whiskey. I was like, what? I don't know anything about things that aren't uh, pilsners or lagers. What the fuck? So I could... Wait, what's in the frame with the words? Well, I don't know if we can find one for the, the Whitney, but you could look up the, the hyperallergic on the piece that was in... Um, Philadelphia has has the writ write up. It's kind of dubious text. Daniel Gerwin wrote the uh, hyperallergic write up. Uh, uh, I, I knew Mr. Gerwin in my time at the MFA program at the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, if you find the article, you'll find that one of the only comments on the article is my comment saying how much I did not enjoy the piece. I just don't even. It's like grotesque, and I don't understand it. It could one could make an argument in its 
favor saying that it's about dubious numbers and uh, sort of arbitrarily picking out demographics to. You can see like the gross baloney yeah. ness going down the wall. Oozing. I guess it oh. stopped smelling at the beginning. It smelled, everyone was talking about how it smelled at the beginning, but the assumption that it was only going to get worse, apparently it sort of off gassed and then had no more odor. But mm. simply from uh, considering like very the preserved, the, the components, be, the components being largely uh, baloney and the word claim. Uh, and then uh, a piece of text saying that this refers to the Jewish community uh, does seem to me in some way to indicate something about uh, some kind of Jewish lie, which oh. is why I my initial experience of it was that the piece was anti-Semitic. I do like this art news headline, Pope Bell's baloney-filled Whitney installation stinks, and then some... <laughs> what I'd like to do is see if we could find the text because it's sort of like, it looks like it's collaged and pieced together. Um, is it deconstructing an artist's dubious claim? Is that the that's, article? That's the hyperallergic one. Is too. that uh, the one by Daniel Gerwin? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're saying you didn't like the artwork piece in the comment or you didn't like the writing piece in the comment? Oh, I, I, didn't, I didn't like the uh, art. Yeah, because I think you thought that was a good critique. So in the, in the New York one, it's changed a little bit. The language there says it's based on the Jewish population in Philadelphia, but it's also wrong because he points out. He's in, uh, inflated it by a factor of 10. Yeah, which I think is intentional. Um, which, what's your like username here? It should say St. Andre. That's Just says Saint. Oh, that's me. Is that your first name? But all it says is, isn't 688 equal to 1% of 6880? I was... Uh, outlining the uh, problem of the the math done in the piece itself which is his way of saying good job that was your only you're like uh, the only comment is me disputing it and your comment is one line and it's just numbers well my line indicates that the numbers in the piece are incorrect yeah but you so feel like i i single-handedly <laughs> took him down and you did not there is no greater criticism of a work of art than that their math is bad. <laughs> okay. so, you're, so you're saying not only is it anti-Semitic, it is it's also, also poor, against poor arithmetic. <laughs> um, yeah, so I mean, I think, like I said, I mean, I would some, at least what I could think of present a defense of it would be that's the false claim that it's the way different groups are picked out arbitrarily and then the numbers are erroneous and lied about um which you could maybe say is like a connection the way like in the trump campaign everything is you know twenty thousand immigrants there's thirty thousand immigrants killing people on our street last week alone fifty thousand immigrants snuck into the country every minute so it's this talking about this make them up thing that, that numbers people do. Um, Asking the viewer to do an enormous amount of work to uncover the baloney of the claim made in the work when most people who were walking past the piece only experienced it as a square room covered in lunch meat. Yeah, they probably didn't bother. I mean, maybe that's a thing too. Where it's like, well, if you bother to read it, it actually is really fucked up. 
So, you know, like what, how many people went by and actually read it? It didn't seem that there was much reading going on in general at the Whitney Biennial. I mean, I'm reading right By now the because I the seriously makers. do not understand. I don't think it is something you can understand. It defies comprehension unless you simplify it in terms of what its components mean uh, compared to each other, in which case you are left with baloney, claim, Jews. Thunderbird. In blatant statistical distortion, however, Pope Al singles out Jews as his wall design. His framed text explains that there are 688 pieces of baloney in the work corresponding to the 1% of Philadelphia's Jewish population, which he gives at 688,000, although his math is also off. 688 is 1.1% of 688,000. Did he add that to whenever you made your smart alecky comment? He did. With... Deliberate absurdity, he calls the faces of his wall purported Jews. As he explains, the portrait photos were taken at random with no connection of who might be Jewish and who not. Recent demographic data for the city's greater Philadelphia varies from 214,000 to 275,000. Right, and also going out of his way to identify the Jews as 1%. Either way, 688,000 Jews... Jewish residence is a wild fabrication. His text cites the most recent census as his source, but the U.S. Census has not collected data on religious affiliation since 1936. Being Jewish, I am rankled by Pope Al's choice to exaggerate the numbers of Jewish population in order to highlight blacks' invisibility, even if he wants us to ask questions. Pope Al knowingly commits the very act that claimed decries. He quantifies, divides, and misrepresents. What's exactly is the claim here, that Jews are overrepresented and that African Americans are underrepresented? Has the smell of baloney been replaced by a whiff of bigotry? The wall makes me think of somebody blew up America. That's reading from the article. Yeah, yeah. No, it's... I'm, I'm just trying to understand. It's, I'm trying to understand something I had no idea about five seconds ago. Yeah, so this is something you might, may not be able to do during the course of this hearing but thank you for bringing this to the attention of the the chamber so what else did you like in the show i was uh disappointed to discover that uh like previous Whitney Biennials, this particular show uh, attempted to inoculate itself against criticisms for indulging in crass materialism and uh, corporate cronyism by including work that was critical of exactly the things that the show was guilty of. Uh, Such as? prominently uh, a piece uh, directly opposite uh, Popel's work was a, um, a wall display that outlined the... Uh, I, I have the text here that I can read. Uh, what, what is the source of the text, please? Uh, the text is a piece... I believe uh, Larry Fink 
Uh, the artist or the writer thereof. Yes, uh, which includes a uh, a display of um, computer monitors uh, with keyboards inviting people visiting the biennial to contribute to a survey of the, um, the difficulties experienced by artists who are in debt. Ah, yes. Uh, the two greatest stories of wealth internationally today are contemporary art and apartments in Manhattan. And then a, uh, an entire wall taken up by a, a graph that indicates uh, the values of, uh, I can bring up the, uh, the values here. Oh, there's a hole cut in the wall, is that true? That's correct. Uh, BlackRock assets under management and the global art price index, as well as uh, student loan delinquency and uh, uh, Puerto Rican debt, as well as uh, assets owned by uh, J.P. Morgan Chase. Uh, J.P. Morgan Chase being uh, a primary sponsor of the Whitney Biennial this year, as in other years. Uh, so it's meant to be transparent about about all these things going on. What's the art? The artwork is like famous artists that are young right now, or ones comparing it with average student debt of artists. Uh, the comparison is the art, the price of uh, art at auction as an index compared to uh, the debt of uh, students and the uh, the art debt of the artists or just debt of students and the student debt crisis the uh, crisis of the mounting overall student debt in the united states of america and what is the auction records the art price index the index of all uh, art sold yeah but doesn't that take into account uh, a large market of large portion of the auction market which is dead or dying artists <laughs> <laughs> you know like the the labo m of artists yeah. we're all on the way out eric yeah. <laughs> uh, no but i mean that seems like that's kind of like false correlation and there is no meaningful uh correlation or uh relationship of any kind drawn by the work. The work is a, a, um, a spectacular installation uh, that is in the style of many of the spectacular installations that are in uh, the Whitney Biennial. Which in, in which that it's incredibly boring, but they seem to think that uh, diagrams are exciting as conceptual art. Let the record show that uh, Chairman Nina hit herself <laughs> in the head with her own microphone. <laughs> excused uh, from the bench. I am I'm gonna take uh, a brief recess. I am reminded of uh, the work of uh, the artist uh, that uh, wrote an essay that was critical of the biennial which was presented at the uh, uh, the door that allowed you to enter the biennial of uh, 2014. Andrea Rosen. Essay. Isn't that an artist? Yes. Or a. <laughs> what? Uh, what? Wasn't no, that, that an a artist? dealer? <laughs> Andrea Rosen, I believe, was a dealer. Which, you're not talking about Pedro Velez's 
postcard review. This Andrea is Fraser. Andrea, Andrea Fraser. Fraser. Yeah, Andrea Rosen is a yes. is a gallerist. I'm sorry, that one's off the top of my head. I wasn't looking at my notes. I had to get up to get. Are you sure that was the yeah, 2014? Yeah, no, but that's very Andrea Frasery. Right, but it was another example. It was another example of the biennial including work that was critical of its own flaws in order to insulate itself from that exact criticism. Because oh. consuming its own critique. Rendering it neutralized. As a... Well, no, but, well, okay. To come to the defense of Andrea Fraser, like, that's the point, is that there's, at the same time that there's institutional critique, there is sort of an ambivalence about that because it still operates within those institutions that it's critiquing. Right, but if the biennial is aware of these criticisms and acknowledges and accepts them, then why do they continue to accept literally hundreds of millions of dollars from corporations that are contributing to exactly the problems that are at the root of the criticism? Why not simply reject money from J.P. Morgan Chase and other firms that are engaging in exactly the behaviors that are causing the problems that are making these artists so unhappy? I mean, thus is like the question of all times. Like, why do artists continue to make work for people who they think are terrible? Uh, well, I, I would say they're doing it because that's that's part of. Well, J.P. Morgan Chase would rather spend well, X number of dollars question. supporting an exhibition. Then this was then my question, and I don't know if I rates on their mortgages or not. It's much, I can't much cheaper for J.P. Morgan Chase to support the Whitney Biennial than it would be for them to lower the interest rate on student loans. Right, but this is back in my question. Like, would you honestly like not? If someone was like, "We love your piece. It's fabulous. It's so meaningful. We want it in the Whitney Biennial," you'd be like, "No, go fuck yourself." Of course, you wouldn't. You'd be like very excited. You don't think you, you would jump at the chance to be in the Whitney Biennial? I don't think Andre would. I think he would totally, totally decline. I, I have made, uh, made it very clear uh, to this panel and uh, in public spaces uh, for my entire adult professional career that all of my work is available for free on the internet to anyone who wants to see it any time that they like. If the Whitney Biennial yeah, but that's would like to install make... a computer that allows people to navigate to YouTube <laughs> and watch my work there at their leisure, then they are free to do that. But of course, they are also free to do that at the Apple Store down the street. Yeah, but you do screenings of your work, A, and B, but the I nature... Do not, but I do not sell tickets. Okay, but B, the nature of your work is the kind that's infinitely reproducible and enjoyed in someone's home. What if you are Eric and you're doing an installation or painting or something? But you're I asking know... him to speculate a kind of, about a kind of work that he does not do. Well, what I'm you're saying, saying is... If, if I didn't make the work that I made and made other work and had other values and wanted other things, no. would I... What I'm saying, I guess I'm speaking for us makers of tangible objects and also... like. One of the reasons what that I'm I don't make tangible Eric objects is because I want to be able to infinitely reproduce them and distribute them for free to everybody in the world whenever they want. very fair. What I'm saying is, like, we can sit here and be like, blah, blah, blah. And but we will. And we, <laughs> we certainly will. I believe this uh, is why this was convened. But we Eric, will can I ask you to turn on that salt lamp right behind you? Definitely. 
Can I also ask what your work, what you do? Uh, uh, At no point was I told that this lamp was not plugged in. Oh, films. Films, okay. I, uh, I, I, uh, I protest this characterization. It's not film. I protest this characterization of my work. How would you characterize it? I protest characterizations of my work. Okay. I I do make videos for the internet. Funny videos for the internet. But not funny, haha. Yeah. (laughs) Funny like, huh. Uh, Since we're here, would you like to plug... Your funny the open source access of videos. your work. If you visit my website, andrekello.com, you can see everything I've ever done for free forever. And cream your pants with that well, ASDR voice. <laughs> MR, and uh, not forever when the internet inevitably dies, you will no longer be able to. I think that by the time the internet has died, uh, paintings and sculptures will also be very difficult to access. No, not cave paintings. Um, so anyway, cave paintings like any you, <laughs> like new cave paintings. Do you mean GNU? No, no, like or how about NU like new metal? Oh, I thought you meant like <laughs> paintings of news will be very easy to find. News like like buffalo. Oh, <laughs> like a an animal like you know like so uh, this this, uh, like this section this section. <laughs> Is this going is under like large biped animal paintings in a cave. This is going to be a recurring segment. No, I was going to say that uh, for this portion, when I summarize it on the lecture notes, it will be Nina laughs at joke only she understands. <laughs> <laughs> a, a, a new, a GNU, a new is a, a, um, a large antelope of the genus. <laughs> Conocaitis, native to Africa, having curved horns. And it's totally something you'd want to paint on the inside of a cave. cave. It is a kind of wildebeest. (laughs) (laughs) Wordplay. So anyway, we could criticize shit all we want, but if anyone was like, we want to put you in the Whitney Pineal, I'd be like, abso-fucking-lutely. There's no way I would say no to that. I mean, it's basically a stepping stone. To, to more compromising of your your I know, but this morals is, and values. Like we talked about on the last episode, I'm it's I'm so ambivalent about it because I want to be successful, but what does that mean? Well, is the that, longer you're not successful, the more accustomed you'll grow to failure, and the, and well, the, the more, more complacent you can be in your position of be. criticizing it. Yeah, but then maybe you realize that's the only thing you have to offer art is your hatred of it, which brings us back to why. <laughs> Is Andre here? <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, sir. Could you repeat, repeat the question? Well, okay. So you uh, said uh, that my, you were was... tired of talking of everyone talking about that Emmett Till painting, and so you wanted to have like a more holistic view of why why we should hate the biennial, other than just because of that painting. So we've got we've got the meaningless bullshit numbers of the Jewish population of New York, and we've got the meaningless bullshit numbers of J.P. Morgan Chase's holdings versus how many students are in... I mean, because you could totally do that. You could do... Uh, 
um, like artists and then their debt. You could probably find that out, right? Actually, that's what, okay, so I was half reading that article when you started and that's what I thought. I thought you were going to be talking about artists' auction records Versus like as a function of is. how much debt they still have. Uh, one of the parts of the piece is a, um, a survey asking artists to describe the way that debt in general affects their ability to create uh, work and how their practice is uh, altered by the burden of debt, both as a student loan uh, issue and also as, uh, as artists who are unable to make a living from their work. Um, okay. The concept of accumulating debt is very strongly normalized in America. Yeah. But it's also not an option to not do it. Sure it is. You don't have to buy a new car. But I, people do that all the time. I confess that I didn't, I didn't bring up the, uh, the premise of the work that was in the uh, biennial uh, in order to engage in the discourse of that premise, but rather because I have uh, a problem with the way that the, uh, the biennial employs certain uh, didactic but shallow works in order to uh, shield itself from having to be honest or consistent in its ethical engagement with the problems described in those shallow but right. didactic I mean, words. but this is exactly like Eric's problems with the Venice Biennale. That it was like these artists were like, well, I went on, I went, I went on vacation to Africa and look at all the poverty I saw. It was horrible. Now give me all the money and I put my art in this thing, you know? It is possible that this is a, uh, a systemic uh, institutional it's not issue. possible. It is. It is. It is designed to be that. So now what? So that is one of the things that is wrong with the biennial. And if they were to fix <laughs> okay. that, that would be good. Okay. Another thing that was wrong, in my opinion. But I guess, wait, 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 wait. But what I'm saying is that all institutions are part of this problematic system. And it would be great if instead of doing it that way, they were to actually acknowledge the ethical problems of their practices and change them that would I be mean, nice and change them is the thing but i think that they think that they are acknowledging them by including work that criticizes them in an incredibly hypocritical way by having but how can it be hypocritical and also acknowledging you're saying it's that the it's acknowledgement that makes it hypocritical because then they don't change it because, because they're acting exactly the same way but they're just using they're saying that. here this work is the whole point of this work is that what the way that we do our business is unethical, but we're going to show you the work and include it within the bounds of our exhibition and acknowledge that yes, what we are doing is unethical and we will not change any of it. Mm -hmm. But then they're also saying, how can we be bad? We let this artist group come in and criticize us. Mm -hmm. You see, we want to have a dialogue with the community. Right. All right. What's the second thing you'd change? There is an, a, an enormous amount of uh, spectacular installation work that uh, appears to uh, reject a critical experience of it simply by its scale and its uh, 
uh, reluctance to develop any kind of uh, meaningful relationship with history or narrative or culture or communities and uh, to exist simply as uh, large-scale spectacles for the sake of wowing viewers like an amusement park ride. I'm I'm confused by that too. Not not most of it. Um, I definitely would agree with you, but what about I guess I'm just thinking about this baloney, baloney, and specifically like everyone being like, oh well, it's presented in a grid format with nods to minimalist. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that. That I don't understand. You're like it's totally detached from all culture and art history and history and society. It's like well, the William Pope Bell piece is specifically detached from history in that it says things that aren't true about history. No, but that's. It's it's making a show of being detached from history by presenting a an but it's trying inaccurate to, historical connection. But it's trying to be evocative because of images that we've seen from history before, like this kind of like mugshot thing with the f- pictures of people's faces and and this and the grid like pattern and that it's that's supposed to be like like specimens and things taped to a wall. It looks like art, is what I mean. Well, sometimes that can be a problem where it just uh, um, is stuff that quotes certain right, well, things about art and then yeah. it just does something funky where it's like, there's food in it. Yeah, no, I mean, that's what like, I... Ah, that's what does I'm, that mean? I don't know, it's art. Woo. Like, I, that's why I'm not criticizing Andre's criticism of that. I mean, I think that that it looking like art is engaging with the spectacle, but I well, don't do understand how it's like... This is another know. question. So, like, often art is criticized by the general public as like, oh, that's just a bunch Being of meat. stupid. <laughs> well, it's just a bunch of meat pinned to the wall. Yeah. And that has been kind of what our critique of this piece is. So then I, I'm like, I'm kind of no. like, should, no, wait, let me finish. So should we be hesitant to say that? Because then that just means we're stupid too, saying, hey, this is just a bunch of like anti-Semitic baloney stapled to a wall. But then when artists do stuff like that, are they like, well, these curators won't say anything and the gallery won't say anything and the critics won't say anything because if they say it's stupid for just looking like dumb, like like if they criticize it like Dave Barry criticizes contemporary art, then they'll look dumb. So is it an Emperor's New Clothes situation where you're no, like, I, I don't think this I is don't. an empty bottle with a rubber band on it. I, I we can't say the, anything. It has no. to be. It has to participate in modernism because if it doesn't, then I'm just as dumb as someone who's not an art critic. I believe that this piece, in addition to other uh, large-scale, spectacular, but uh, apparently uh, meaningless and shallow works that were included in the biennial, that they, if they have a kind of an experience of the work, the work seems to me to create an experience of large-scale nihilism like a a, an accumulation of signs and forms that are specifically and uh, expertly arranged in order to defy comprehension or uh, well i i would argue the opposite and especially with these big installations like this like big assemblages i guess it's like the opposite. It's like so much meanings and symbols that it is an overload 
that it also it means nothing through its like an example that throwing meanings at you you know it's like well this could be significant and that could be significant and what's what's the meaning of pinning it on the wall instead of taping it into the wall and what's the meaning of using bologna instead of using salami what's the meaning of using the um the limerita versus the fruit punch version and 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 the adding to that using that kind of liquor instead of another kind of liquor and then adding you know what i'm saying like that they're you know why did he use these pictures why did he use this color paint why did he use that color paint on a different one you know what are the similarities about it was what is the you know i i think that this installation it's it's very evocative it's very visceral looking and sort what of scary. you're describing reminds me of my experience of the hannah darboven show that i saw as soon as i walked out of the whitney biennial and went down the street and encountered an enormous large-scale expertly crafted spectacular installation of a uh, kind of obscure historical analysis of the 20th century by uh, Hannah Darboven at, uh, at, 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 at Dia. Dia at Dia Chelsea. And uh, that show had all of the uh, delicate crafting of a... Um, sophisticated relationship with an intelligent viewer that seemed to me to be missing from all of the spectacular sculptural installation work that I saw when I was at the Whitney. The, the thing that in particular that felt different about the Hannah Darboven show was that it rewarded a viewer for spending time looking at the work and thinking about, as you were describing, the, the interactions between the various uh, forms and elements. The work that was in the Whitney, and I saw several pieces in, in, that fit in this description on uh, a few of the different floors of the uh, exhibition, there is no benefit that I could discern from spending time with the work. It was just as shallow and spectacular in a meaningless way after you spend a half hour looking at it than it was the moment you walked into the room. I totally believe you. I'm thinking about what you must be thinking about, Emily. I'm just wondering, like, how do you differentiate which one is a bunch of stuff that doesn't mean anything and which is a bunch of stuff that, when looked at, means a lot of things that are very deep and meaningful? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like... I don't know why I'm pinning it on you, but I'm just thinking about someone who doesn't spend all their time looking at big installations and it's like just an agglomeration of a bunch of stuff. And how do you know which one is rewarding and which one is a meaningless spectacle? I think... An, an, is it like you just know it when you see it? I think if there's an internal uh, logic that it reveals itself over time through spending mental energy engaging with the work then that's well, probably good okay this is why i'm like having a lot of trouble is because i feel like there there is something i do find i don't know i find that baloney thing like it could be very interesting that it has this sort of sense of violence and specimen and it has that kind of like uh prison and and like pass card papers and like 
it seems like it's engaging in race and violence and things like that. But then he brings the Jews into it and is like making all this Jew stuff about it. And I'm like, wait, what? Because then when you add that in, you're like, well, why did you put a bunch of faces of Jews on pork? I'm like, that's really disturbing. And then like, you know, but, but then not, you also made it up. And like, on the street. Exactly. They're... But then you were like, but also they're all Jews. When I'm I, like, what? When I say that the work is... Uh, meaningless and shallow i'm giving him the benefit of the doubt because if it's not meaningless and shallow it is violently virulently anti-semitic right but like let's say that thing defining jews wasn't there like let's say there was no text and it was just the meat on the wall with the pictures and the if it bottle was of simply a physical liquor. object in space outside of the aura that the artist no, went no, out no, of his no. way to no, put no, it in no 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 I'm saying if it didn't have text to contextualize it and it was just pictures, blurry pictures of people on these specimens and, and then like a bottle of, of cheap, um, what if it liquor. was wild Turkey? So it was fancy. No, you know, no, but I'm saying, you know what I'm saying? Like, and you know that he's a black artist and that the initial show in, um, Philadelphia was curated by Kara Walker, who also is a black artist who does work about violence and violence and depictions of blackness, then it's like, oh, well, what does this all mean? And what is this sort of violent gesture of putting the meat on the wall and the word baloney and like, and and it's Amer and the very Americanness of a baloney and, and the and then the meaning of it being fake. And so then that to me has like very interesting connotations about the structures of race in America. Like that sounds like a very good work to me, actually. But then, so what's like, all what this if Jew this work stuff? was the way I wanted it to? What if this well, was a different Well, I wonder art? that all the time. Whenever I see performance art, I'm like, oh, what if you had just stopped at this point and you didn't keep going with all this other nonsense? It would have been a great work if you had just done this. <laughs> That's kind of how I watch performances. I'm like, oh, well, that whole part you did afterwards was terrible. But the beginning part was brilliant. Just leave it at that. Unfortunately, I am compelled to consider the work as it exists. <sighs> but that's why I just, I'm like, what? I don't know. I thought I would look up and see, is Oscar Mayer Jewish? But it says he's a German immigrant. His Wikipedia article doesn't say if he's Jewish. Usually it does. Yeah, I feel like if he were a German Jewish immigrant, it would say German Jewish immigrant. <laughs> yeah, because that's kind of relevant to be like, well, also, is bologna pork is my... <laughs> Did yeah, we determine that bologna I mean, is he pork? He definitely wouldn't be able to be... I'm going to Google is bologna kosher. I don't know if he would be able to be... How do you spell bologna? <laughs> uh, O-S-C-A-R-M-A-Y-E-R. I thought you had a question for Emily, though. It sounded like you started asking. Well, I was just thinking about her listening to this. And like the, the, the concept is, what is a, a work of art, like a big collection of stuff that's meaningful and what is just a big collection of stuff that's shallow? How do you know what the difference is? How do I, as a person that doesn't know anything about art, know the difference? Well, I'm just saying, if you saw two different things, like what would you think if you saw that baloney thing? Well, or maybe you could just talk to us about an experience of I mean, art I, that you've had instead of yeah, yeah, yeah. hypothesizing. No, no, no. I, I wasn't asking that question of you. I was kind of asking that question of Andre. And, oh, because I thought you addressed it to Emily. No, no, no. I was saying like, 
this is a th- if I, I was Emily. Just like, this Emily, be... how do you feel? Are you okay? No, no, no. <laughs> well, yeah. How do you feel? Are you okay? Have, have, but... Are you dying? Because I would be if I were listening. <laughs> I mean, Thanks we listener. thank you for listening. <laughs> No, I mean, for me, the thing I get stuck on is the baloney part of that of that work in particular. Mm-hmm. But um, all other work that I look at without knowing any background, it's all based on, like, my subjective opinion of it, which has probably nothing to do with what the artist's intentions are. Well, I don't think anybody really gives a shit about artist's intentions unless the artist goes out of their way to make sure you're aware of those intentions in the work. Well, but that's that's, like... Like, if I knew why that guy chose baloney, is it just because of, like, the word baloney and, like, what other meanings that has? Or is it, was it, like, did it have something to do with it being made out of pork? You know, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Is it both? I think that would help me have, I think that would make the work have a bigger impact for me. Instead, I just get stuck on that same, like, question over and over again. Yeah, I think that the experience of viewers in the biennial of the work as they come across it, uh, often with varying degrees of awareness of uh, William Popel's uh, personal professional history or the history of sculpture or the history of, uh, you know, politics or, um, you know, uh, racism in art, uh, you know, Lots of different people are going to come up, up to this work with different kinds of uh, uh, prejudices and uh, knowledge. And I think that generally people are going to experience it as a room covered in lunch meat. Mm-hmm. Because when I looked at the pictures of it, my reaction was, that's gross. <laughs> <laughs> and it is. I probably would have just walked right out of there and not really thought about it at all. I think that that's likely to be the experience that most people have of most of the work in the show. In the way that, in in the way that you're saying that that's kind of why the show is terrible. Well, there's a third point that I wanted to make. That I hope that I have time to uh, discuss which was the role of uh, hyper-real uh, technology uh, and, uh, and video art installations in uh, the show. But I believe Nina has uh, breaking news. I do. Bologna, or bologna, sometimes phonetically spelled bologna, known in Europe as leoner or lioner, is a sausage derived from mortadella, a similar-looking finely ground pork sausage containing cubes of lard, originally from the Italian city of Bologna. Bologna. Bologna, Italy. Bologna. 
So it's not kosher. Mm -hmm. No, it appears there not There is be. turkey bologna that is kosher. Delicious. Mm. Can't get enough of that turkey bologna. We now return to each of our regularly scheduled program. There was a one particular uh, video work uh, that I thought was uh, my favorite Sorry. piece in the show, and it was the, the one that I spent the most time with. I spent about forty-five minutes watching this one video work, uh, which was a work uh, uh, "Once Now Again" by uh, Lyle Ashton Harris, oh. a New York uh, video and installation artist. Uh, the piece is, um, includes a, two videos uh, that are next to each other, uh, one of the artist uh, uh, walking into an adjacent room and having a shower and then coming out and, and, uh, and drying himself off. And this is uh, repeated uh, 
while in the other monitor uh, he uh, lays on a bed and attempts to describe to the viewer his experience having uh, gotten high and gone dancing the night before and then is interrupted with a phone call and then attempts to describe over the phone to his mother his experience the night before of uh, getting high and going dancing. And uh, it was part of a larger installation uh, that includes uh, photographs that were cycling through as presentation of um, various events in uh, New York City uh, in uh, uh, gay and African-American uh, history uh, taking place in the year between the year 1990 and 1992. And um, I thought that the, the work had an extraordinary intimacy and that it uh, he is allowing us uh, to understand uh, an incredible humanity uh, in his uh, relationship that he has with his mother and while also uh, showing us a, uh, an amazing uh, amazingly delicate and uh, I thought uh, sensitive and personal uh, attempt to comprehend his own life does his story change with his mom does he clean it up a little no, if anything, he goes into greater and more... Um, Lurid detail. <laughs> uh, I guess more uh, self-aware detail when he's talking. About, you you really get a sense of being party to a uh, an extraordinarily intimate moment between him and his mother over the phone. And uh, the emotional experience I had of watching it was... It was the only thing that I saw in the entire biennial that really affected me in a human way was uh, seeing this person share this uh, extraordinary uh, like life with the viewer. And it was you know relatively hidden away in a way where you could experience it separately from the rest of the, the show. You weren't really distracted uh, through sound or image by other works and you could just sit there in the dark and, and really feel like you were experiencing this this man's life and that was something I felt was missing from pretty much all of the other uh, video work that was in the show which seemed to be focused on uh, creating these uh, vivid uh, flashy hyper real high technology uh, spectacles that uh, you know there were a lot of Oculus Rift headsets not just in the the uh, highly publicized piece wherein uh, viewers were instructed to put on a uh, an oculus rift and then watch in um, 360 degree video as a man beats another man to death with a baseball bat but that was jordan wolfson's piece uh yeah it was one of the more highly publicized works that was in the show is that like real hmm. is it a film or like uh, he uses computer graphics to simulate to a great degree uh the effect of watching a man beat another man in the head with a baseball bat and then uh, kicking him and then and beating his head into a, a bloody red mess. Why? I could not tell you. Oh, Jesus Christ. And uh, my, the only real, like, physical, powerful experience I had of that particular piece was waiting in line <laughs> and watching them wipe down all the headsets with this really pungent disinfectant and hearing the squeak of the rubber and, and smelling the the sickly floral smell of the disinfectant and and then after that uh, 
you know, being instructed to put on the Oculus Rift headset and then watch this antiseptic digital uh, immersive experience of this convincing relatively, but, you know, by no, no mistaking, digital creature get its head caved in. In general, it seemed like the digital work had uh, trouble connecting to humanity as much of the work in the biennial did. Uh, though not to, not so much the paintings. I thought the paintings were uh, particularly strong. Except that one. Uh, <laughs> except for Dana Schutz's uh, Emmett Till painting. But I did like uh, Ulrika Muller's uh, work, especially the paintings that were situated outside uh, it was raining that day, and these works were uh, enamel on metal, and uh, it was I'd never been to a painting show where you could watch paintings as rain was falling on them. Hmm. Uh, that was nice. That's cool. Yeah. Well, that's bleak. Um, are we ready to wrap it up? Um, at any point... Did you yourself or anyone, did you witness anyone refer to the Whitney Biennial as the quote, why buy? <laughs> I did not. <laughs> why buy art anyway? <laughs> so it, it would be, do you think it would be fair to say that that's no longer the nickname for it? As the, for a while people were calling it the why buy? I, my experience of it uh, for the last decade has been that people simply refer to it as the Biennial. Okay. In New York anyway. Well, they also refer to New York City as the city and, you know. And New York is, is York and York is old York. And new is new. <laughs> um. <laughs> I appreciate you allowing me to take the time to address the committee today. Now, Thank is you it... for your testimony. Yes. We will uh... never indulge you in it again. <laughs> Um, so you all mull that over for a little while. Um, and if you think that we're wrong about biennial, or if you want to explain that baloney thing to me, email us at I don't hate this at gmail.com. The subject line, Nina's baloney. Yes, please. Um, if you want to send us some baloney, you can send it to PO box. Just kidding. Um, you can find us on the internet at our website. I don't hate this. I don't hate th dot I S. You can find us on social media at I don't hate this on Instagram and Twitter. So, Nina, is there, uh, sorry, your name, uh, Emily. Is there anything you'd like to add? Any plugs? <laughs> no. No, I don't have any plugs. I'm not a social media person. No, but is there anything like you like that you want like to let other people know about that you're digging on? <laughs> I mean, basically Thai food. Like. <laughs> <laughs> Rental. How, how do you feel? Are do you are you okay? Well played. Sure. Yeah. All right. I survived. <laughs> what do you think about art after all this? Um. I don't know. No, it's okay. This is kind of overwhelming. Has this made you hate art more or less? Are you like less inclined? Based on your visit today, are you are you likely to return to art again? <laughs> Would you say we're very satisfied, neither satisfied nor dissatisfied, very dissatisfied? 
Um, Do I not wait for the translation. Answer the question. Well, I enjoy strong opinions, and so that was really the part that I enjoyed the most. The subject matter doesn't um, really matter. It's also possible that the one way that you could make the biennial worse would be to have someone describe it to you rather than experiencing it yourself. <laughs> True. <laughs> Thank you. That sums this whole episode up. <laughs> um, so listen to us next time. Thanks for joining us. Goodbye. Bye. Ooh, my little hungry one. Hungry one, open up a package of mine. Bologna. Ooh, I think the toast is done. The toast is done. Top it with a little of mine. Bologna. Never gonna stop. Eat it up. Such a tasty snack, I always eat too much. And throw up. But I'll soon be back to mine. My, my, yai, yai, woo! My, 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 Bologna. Mustard now, show me how. Spread it on a little of this bologna. Hoping that we don't run out, don't run out. If we do, I'm sure that I'll miss bologna. Never gonna stop, eat it up. Such a tasty snack, I always eat too much and throw up. But I'll soon be back for my, 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 my,